Hello everyone, this is Logan from the future, yet again. Here to tell you that during our conversation about the 90s Batman sequels, at one point we talk about everything DC, and we end up talking about spoilers involving the Peacemaker finale. It's a minor spoiler, but it's a spoiler nonetheless, so if you haven't finished the season yet, or you're waiting to watch it for a later date, I recommend watching the show first before listening, unless you don't care about spoilers. Now with that out of the way, enjoy the episode. So before I get a headache, the farther we get into our conversations of this trilogy, we should just get out of the way now, because we're not going to talk about this for 20 to 30 minutes, because it'll be probably a longer discussion if we did talk about it. We both saw the Batman, I really liked it, Andy didn't really like it. So we're on opposite sides of the spectrum for the first time in a while, I yeah, would say, pretty, with a big film like this. A pretty rare occurrence for us to be this at odds about a movie. Yeah. You, I, we're pretty frequently, you know... At different highs or lows on a movie, you know, yes. you might love a movie, whereas I just kind of like it, or vice versa. It kind of gets closer but... with the Eternal situation, where it's like you don't hate Eternals, yeah, I... but you don't really love it, yeah. And I really enjoy that film, yeah. And so it's like it's that kind of weird. It's kind of the dichotomy that it honestly leads to good conversation, and at least to trying to figure out more as to why we feel the way that we do. But when it comes to the Batman, we are both vastly <laughs> different spectrums on the film, and you know what? First off, that's not the only thing that I've seen so far. Pretty much, it's across the board. Once you get out of the critics, most people seem to be kind of enjoying it. But also, I've seen a lot of the one, two out of five stars as well. Mm -hmm. And also, and to be honest, I like that for a film more than just it's fine. Mm -hmm. So I kind of like that in the conversation. And also, that also means I think if that conversation keeps going on, Matt Reeves and WB, while this film is making a fuck ton of money and is not going to stop making money, I think, you know, Reeves is enough, I think, ingrained in terms of social media-wise, and at yeah. least, especially Pattinson, too. Right, yeah. <laughs> that I feel yeah. like they'll they'll read a lot of the conversations, and I honestly, if anything gets pulled from any of that, make the film at most two and a half, <laughs> yeah. and go from there, but... Yeah, you know, I mean, discourse is feedback. So if they're if they're reading things, then hopefully, mm-hmm. I, I I definitely again we're not going to get too deep into it, but I definitely oh, yeah. came away with some hope for this iteration, even though I didn't like this outing. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm hopeful that they can win me over in future movies. Yeah, and for those listening who th- think, oh, Logan probably thinks it's the best Batman film ever made. <laughs> It's not to me. It's this is going to be a hot take that I don't even know if Andy knows. I did a ranking on Letterboxd as to my favorite Batman like theatrical ranked, uh-huh. and the Lego Batman is right above the Batmans. <laughs> so that I mean, I think in my ranking, yeah, Mask of the Phantasm is still better. Lego Batman is still better. Uh-huh. First eighty nine is better for me, but yeah, again, I enjoyed it more than Andy did, and we'll <laughs> leave it at that and get into. <sighs> we're about to talk to today. Hello, yeah. everyone. I'm Logan Sowash. And I'm Andy Carr. And this is Odd Trilogies with Logan and Andy. And in Odd Trilogies with Logan and Andy, we take a trio of films tied by either by number, by cast and crew, thematic elements, etc. And we talk about each film and discuss the good, the bad, and the weird surrounding them. And in honor of the Batman, we <laughs> decided 
even though it's three months in, and we kind of said after our Matrix sequels, maybe we should push off the ma- the sequels trilogy sequels idea. Sequels trilogies, yeah. We decided, ah, fuck that. We're doing it again. <laughs> We're doing the yeah. Batman sequels trilogy. Yes, uh, specifically the 90s Batman sequels. Indeed. Uh, which are kind of the subject of much colorful discourse over the decades since they released. Mm-hmm. Um these are the follow-ups to Tim Burton's 89 Batman, uh, which are 92's Batman Returns, Nin- also directed by Tim Burton. 1994's Batman Forever and 1997's Batman and Robin, both directed by Joel Schumacher. Yeah. Known for, he's done a he's done a lot. He has a long, he's got a long career, but most people would probably know him for The Lost Boys. Yeah. So, uh, k- kind of like the. Uh, the Matrix sequels trilogy. We're gonna be gonna be cheating the format just a little bit because we do need to talk about the 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 original Batman from '89 just in terms of how as, it as relates to these movies. Yeah, um, but we're really gonna be focusing on these sequels and kind of the question that they all seem to be asking of like, what do we do with Batman now that we've made a good live-action Batman yeah. movie. Yeah, basically, now that Tim Burton has completely shifted the pulp culture version of what Batman will ultimately become from yeah. that point forward. Totally redefined the character. How the hell do you go... Where do you go from 1989 onward? Yeah. And the response is varied. Yeah. <laughs> to the point where in the span of eight years, the look of Batman is incredibly different. <laughs> than what was initially considered a bold, risky move with 89's Batman. Yeah. I mean, it's... I guess a quick thing with Batman is, I mean, I still love the first Burton film. Mm-hmm. I think it's great. I think it's honestly probably one of my favorite Burton films, if not... Sure. Yeah, I don't know if it's his best. It's been a while, but I do think that it's it's funny to watch it and think that this is the dark and gritty Batman people yeah. thought wor- wasn't going to work, which just shows how much we've changed in terms right. of what we want from a Batman story, but also or superhero how stories low, in general. Yeah. yeah, and how much low uh, expectations people had for yeah. yeah Batman. Like, oh, they can't do dark Batman. <laughs> yeah, here yeah, we are. It's, it's very dark. It's easy to think in hindsight, especially for those of us who weren't around at the time. Yeah. Um, you know, looking back, like, oh, there were all these iconic Batman comics in the 80s and even in the 70s that dealt with all sorts of, you know, dark material. Batman's been gritty longer than Tim Burton, but, like, those were comics. That was nerd shit. Like, yeah. you know, comics, while, you know, they they did have their heyday, they were still kind of more of a niche um, audience, whereas now we're used to a world where the Marvel Cinematic Universe, a mm-hmm. movie series about comic book characters, is the most popular franchise in existence. Yeah, comics were mainly so, used in the 80s, I think, for three different things, which is for inspiration for cartoons, yeah, uh, inspirations for films, or just other media in general, or you were the nerdy kid in an 80s film who just knew all about Batman Superman, <laughs> yeah. like in a Goonies-esque type film. Right. It was kind of still working its way into the mainstream of media, at least in movies. It's kind of hilariously how Stranger Things uses Dungeons and Dragons initially and how much yeah. the the popularity of D and D and Tabletop has ultimately changed since they tried since they yeah. pushed that kind of that, that idea of how 
underground that was then and how it's immediately more popular because of the talk about it yeah, and whatnot. Yeah. And yeah, I think a lot of comics became more popular just because of shows and, you know, of course there's Donner Superman in the 70s right, and yeah. those films dying off in the late 80s <laughs> yeah. and once those films died off they needed something to fill that shoe and yeah. They found well, what I would argue cuz it's I mean there's not a lot to fight for it but like one of the best superhero films of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. Like it's Yeah. There's very few films in that century that feel like oh shit. This feels like this is changing something. Yeah, it's, and is its own kind of identity. Yeah, it's it's not only faithful to its source material and respectful of its source material, but also, mm-hmm. you know, makes that appealing to people and also kind of redefines people's perceptions yeah. of that mythology. So, and if it, it feels like that first Batman film with Burton feels like it sets up a checklist almost for WB for future films. Where it's like, if you don't have Burton come back, you need at least these things for a Batman film. You need a high-profile director who's probably affordable and is, you know, crazy or kooky enough design-wise that you'll get people entranced. Yeah. You'll need somebody as a Batman that is either perfect in terms of all that guy perfectly be Bruce Wayne, or you go completely the opposite and you freak people out to the (laughs) point of there's no way that works. You need a villain... That is a high-profile actor or someone who was super popular at the time. Yeah. And you got to go super full either dark or you have to go the completely other side of the pendulum. Yeah. And you have to make the story super straightforward, which all these films, the sequels are pretty straightforward. Yeah. But the issue is, is they're all straightforward and don't really need to be two hours. <laughs> so how do you fill that space? Yeah. Returns probably being the least straightforward of them. Yeah. Um, but it, still a fairly it, straightforward sequel. Yeah, it takes its longest to get to its plot, which is mainly just Penguin wants to be loved. <laughs> yeah. But Penguin's also an asshole. Yeah. And is a is a criminal. And, and yeah. is, at his heart, he's corrupt. And so that becomes the big thing for Batman. I mean, the big thing about Batman Returns that was funny to watch this time around, because we... We did a walk. We did a, a walk through. We did a watch through of all the films, including '89 Batman, just to give us, yeah, like to the you, full, the full give us, perspective. Yeah, give us a good template to look into. And with Returns, it is exactly what you'd expect from a sequel from '89 Batman. It's dark. It's creepy. It goes way full tilt into getting super, super scary for kids <laughs> this yeah, time it, around. It definitely uses the '89 Batman's kind of fantastical gothic atmosphere as like a jumping off point and yeah. just goes that much further with it this mm-hmm. movie is like bathed in blue and black lighting and everything lo- i mean it looks like nightmare before christmas in some yeah scenes. and have like, demented kind of circus performers be yeah. like the main henchmen and also it's more tragic which yeah, is, it is wild. It's a sadder movie, which I which guess is interesting. makes a lot of sense in terms of the next film he does after this, which I believe is Edward Scissorhands after yeah. Batman Returns, yeah. which is also a pretty tragic film Absolutely. in its own. And it's overall, it is the sequel that no one should have been surprised to get, but also Burton should have been surprised that people were probably put off a tad 
by how full tilt he went into a lot of elements. Yeah, it's less... I mean, the the rollicking kind of superhero element is still there, but like oh, yeah. the movie takes so much longer to get to that stuff than the first film. As, as soon as Batman shows up, he one-punches the first henchman he sees. You, <laughs> yeah. get, you get exactly what you want from him fighting crime. It's just he doesn't fight a lot of crime that frequently yeah <laughs> there are yeah. good spouts in between well and i mean i don't really remember how much but it felt like there was a huge stint of like the first maybe into the second act where we don't really see batman or bruce like he shows up early yes. on and then he's gone for a while because we're with catwoman and penguin mm-hmm. yeah that's um, the most noticeable change is there is a bit of an absence of keaton yeah and i don't necessarily know why i know keaton asked for a bigger pay raise which he got for this film mm-hmm. I, understandably. No, understandably. <laughs> he deserves it. I mean, Keaton's my favorite Batman, and yeah. I think he deserves that pay raise because that 89 Batman works so well because he plays Bruce Wayne in a way that we'll ultimately see later with the Kilmer and Clooney interpretations in terms of, but like much better than that in terms of like, <laughs> yeah, he can do suave, but why would he? Oh, He's I see weird. what you're saying. Yeah. No, like with Kilmer and yeah. Clooney, their versions are like, the expect like the expected version of Bruce. Like yeah. you get exactly what well, you think that character would be on a basic level, while as Keaton's version is like a weird collector of armor and weapons <laughs> and has a yeah. mansion that he has no idea how many rooms is in. Ke- Keaton's Bruce Wayne slash Batman is just so fascinating. I just love that he's, he's a fucking weirdo. He is he has the charisma and he is, you know, socially capable and that sort of thing. But yeah, he's a weirdo, and he kind of wears that on his sleeve, mm-hmm. uh, and he kind of pokes fun at people for thinking that he'd just be like a snobby, you know, uptight rich yeah. guy. He also weirdly plays it in a way that I don't think a lot of people who play Bruce do, where he plays it as if he doesn't really know how much money he has. Yes, I love Where it's like the one of the first times, he when he finally introduces himself to, um, uh, gosh, Kim Basinger's character, Vicky. Yeah. Um, when he first introduces, a waiter comes up to him and asks, how many boxes of champagne should you open up? And Bruce is just throwing out uh, six or yeah, seven he goes, like, boxes. I don't know, six? And it's like, <laughs> question mark. Boxes of champagne? He's like, I don't know. Does that seem all right? And yeah. they're kind of mocking him, yeah. whether he don't know if he catches it or not. But it's funny to see him be like, he is not trying to flaunt his money. He is just genuinely so befuddled by how much money he has he doesn't really know yeah he's like a, what's considered too much or too yeah. little and it's so like unimportant to him oh that yeah he just like throws it at set like the journalist is like um hey can i have a grant and he's yes. like hey alfred come here yeah, get this he, guy a grant get this guy a grant <laughs> and he's just being he's being in his mind i assume he's being nice but not really understanding how difficult that is yeah, to that, get a that grant. Can come when across you're... as just like arrogant. Yeah, and it's which is um, funny because like you know you get later interpretations where I think you know you get Ben Affleck's whose version is just like I'm rich, I bought the bank, and then that's that's a version of Wayne yeah, you can do. It's absolutely. not a bad version, but it's also like that's kind of similar. I mean, in all to to Zack Snyder's credit. You know, that is very similar to like the Batman of like the Justice League cartoon. Yes, where he's just kind of yeah. like. Yeah, bank we, we know he's a genius. We know he's super smart. He can just do these things. <laughs> yeah, he bankrolls it all, and he can he he has everything prepped and planned out. Yeah, right, and right. It's oh gosh, I just enjoy how different. I mean, that's the thing too. That's kind of wild with uh, an eighty nine Batman and going into Batman Returns 
is just like he just doubles down on the bold choices in terms of like in the 89 Batman, the bold choices that the Joker killed Batman's parents. That mm-hmm. is not at all right. ever been canon. I don't think at that point in the comics has ever been a possibility. It was just something that Burton probably thought consolidated and made it more straightforward and had more of an emotional impact for Batman yeah. in terms of going after the Joker. But like thinking how nowadays, if you tried, if I think if Matt Reeves tried to do that a little bit, there would be some genuine pushback because fandom just gets so toxic and weird about changes like that. People are also just so much more uh, informed, even superficially, about how characters are supposed to be and what the canon is and stuff. That's just that that discourse is just so much more prevalent that people would be immediately be like, what, you changed this? Yeah. It would even surprise me if someone asked him, like, do do you think people are going to get mad about this? And they're like, why? It's Batman. Who cares about wait, Batman? We're wait, trying to make what, them what care. What people do you mean? <laughs> yeah, we're trying to make them care about Batman. They can find out later that this isn't how the comics is. I don't the comics yeah. are. I don't care. Yeah. You just keep going. And then this one with Batman Returns, it's the nastiest weirdest and most grotesque version of the penguin we've ever gotten yeah he's a he's a sewer monster man yeah he's just he's stained a veto in what looks like a onesie that is stained with shit (laughs) filled with pillows because it looks like he's so much puffier than he actually is with flipper hands and he doesn't have blood he or doesn't have regular his human blood, blood is like bile yeah, he's got like penguin like, like black, black greenish bile. yeah it's like what is this yeah which is again it was funny watching this and then going to see the batman and being like god to think that a lot of people's first introduction to this character was just like <laughs> Danny DeVito trying to bite a man's nose off and like coughing up black bile from time yeah. to time. That's it's a very Burton like, yeah. change. Because oh, yeah. yeah, he was just I mean, he was just kind of a crook in the comics. Like yeah, he was just a snobby thief. He's a mobster stole, with a limp. Like, art pieces and mm-hmm. stuff. And yeah. He's and then... Paul Williams in the animated series. <laughs> like yeah. what do you <laughs> There's not much else he could really You don't think yeah. you could do much else with that character, but Burton he tried. Yeah. And I think he succeeds, but he also succeeds in a way where it's like, and you know what? We'll never do that again. Right, right. Because I don't know if you can really get away with that a second time. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's no surprise that the second big screen version of the Penguin is just, he's a, he's a mob guy. <laughs> like, yeah. That makes it's, sense. There's <laughs> like, we're just going to do actual Penguin because like it's been so long since someone's actually tried to do the Penguin. Can you imagine if like, Colin Farrell puked up black bile at some point in Robert Pattinson's film. <laughs> it would, you know what? At a certain point, like it would it would surprise him, me, but spoilers. also I'd be like, nice. I'm yeah. glad we're trying to do that this time around. <laughs> but yeah, in terms of the story, the main push of it is Max Shrek. Max Shrek, yeah, played by Christopher man. Walken, a hilariously evil Christopher Walken. <laughs> he's, he who's... exudes a little bit of that like Mister e- or Doctor Evil energy, where he's just yes. like he's just villainous businessman. He he is played in a way that almost feels like an inverse to Keaton's version of Bruce Wayne, where it's like Bruce is like <laughs> when Bruce confronts him, Bruce is like, "You just want to make more money. You don't want to do this for actual power. You just want." You want money. You don't want to help anybody. You're yeah. just being an asshole. You don't want to affect like, anything. You just want to control stuff. Yeah, he's like, I'm appalled. 
I live for the city, and he's so fucking evil and yeah. such a liar. It's so funny that it's like everyone else is just like, look, Shrek made a department store. He's a nice guy. Yeah, and right. then Burton's, or Keaton's the only one who's against that. Yeah. And then, yeah, and he wants he wants to do something with a power plant that'll basically store up power, more power than they need, which will lead to more pollution, which Selena Kyle finds out, because in this version she's Shrek's office assistant, and then, yeah. and then Shrek kills her, or tries to at least. Yeah, doesn't he throw her out the window? He pushes her out a window, Pushes yeah. her out a window, and she falls, and while her body is laying there dying she gets swarmed by alley cats and then cats that that transform her another another bold choice is to just make the cat burglar a A literal kind of cat woman burglar yeah which is again hilarious because i think the reason why we don't see that more often because again this movie is really good did well in theaters people like it a lot and it wouldn't surprise me that if hollywood kept trying to do this if it wasn't for the fact that Halle Berry's Catwoman also did the same <laughs> right, thing. and just did it even worse. Even worse. It's like, we don't even want to touch this again. Yeah. But yeah, she just gets swarmed by alley cats, has a seizure, kind of, and then comes back to life. Gets like zombified almost. Yeah. Com- almost becomes a literal cat in a way where it's like she talks about her nine lives yeah. all the time. <laughs> but I don't know. Like, it's not really, if I'm remembering correctly... We don't really know that she has like cat powers or anything. The cats think... just brought her back to life and I think made her obsessed so with cats. Confident. She's yeah. so confident in her powers. And yeah. she also is wearing the scariest dominatrix suit. Yeah, she looks like a monster. Yeah. It is this movie is so it's again what's so funny to watch the eighty nine Batman is to think that like kids loved the film. I mean, I liked it when I was younger, but I also yeah. was like genuinely freaked out by Nicholson's Joker. Yeah, some Joker. of the Joker scenes are yeah. creepy. When he, when he, like, grabs the hand, the guy's hand with a buzzer. And electrocutes him. And electrocutes yeah. him to death and stuff like that, where it's like, I'm surprised that people were like, oh, yeah, toys with this film. And then when it comes to Returns, it's like, oh, of, of course, this is not good. This is going to be the one time where they go, listen, Tim, I don't know if we can make toys yeah. of the sexy dominatrix cat lady who has... Sewing needles yeah, as her as fingers, uh, claws. And she's covered in stitches. She looks like a mummy. Yeah, and all the penguins are kind of creepy because some of the penguins are real, others <laughs> are animatronic. Are, some of them, I think, are people in costumes. Yeah, I think at the very end, you get some people in costumes, yeah. which is just <laughs> yeah. fascinating. To yeah, think. it's... it's Batman it's Returns striking. is Burton really leaning into the kind of nightmarish aesthetic that will eventually become his trademark. Yeah. Up, up to this point, you know, with he'd gone from Pee Wee Herman's Big Adventure to Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice to, to Batman. Um, and, of course, Beetlejuice has that aesthetic, too. But, oh, yes. But um, that kind of feels almost more a product of the, of the story itself, mm-hmm. whereas this feels like a deliberate choice to be laid onto the story and yeah. influence it, the story. It genuinely wouldn't surprise me that he didn't expect the first Batman to do as well as it did. I mean, he, I... I bet everyone involved in that first Batman was glad that people liked it as much as they did, but I don't know if Burton really had enough gas in the tank to do two more films. Yeah. And, and Or if he wanted to, I don't think two more films that the studio would probably want. Yeah. And so, like, after Returns being as weird as it is, it's no surprise that, like, that is the last Burton Batman film that we get. Yeah, and because... Keaton, I think, also wasn't super thrilled with 
what they gave him for a next movie? I don't think so. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where it ultimately became, like, I think Burton left, then Keaton left, and then it just kind of not really crumbled, but it kind of became a, oh, we have some vacancies. Yeah. We need to fill like, that well, up. Well, we thought fast. we had this plan, but now we got to yeah. figure out who's going to do the rest of it. Yeah, because the big thing about Batman Returns is that it's a very good, solid sequel to Batman 1989, but it's very clear that they're, they're starting to see a little bit of some diminishing returns. So, yeah. you know, when if you make another film with Burton, chances are Burton's probably not going to have his full heart into it, and maybe Keaton's probably going to be a little bit grumpier, especially right. if you don't pay his rate. And so when Batman, Tim Burton's Batman 3 is non-existent, doesn't happen because pretty much all the major players in terms of directing and acting kind of leave, except for this version of Commissioner Gordon played by Pat Hingle, who's in every single one of these films. Yep, And Uh, uh, Alfred. That's right. Alfred as well. It's the same Alfred who kills it. He's, he's probably, he's probably the best version of classic Alfred in terms of just like, he's there to, you know, help Bruce when he needs it and also nudge him to get laid. (laughs) And also is a surrogate father figure. That's his name. What's say again. Michael Go. Michael Go. Okay. Well, Michael Go and Pat Hingle are the only like I think remaining <laughs> yeah, returning the, characters the in, in the third film, in our our second film in our trilogy, uh, 94's Batman Forever. <laughs> yeah. It is weird. I can already tell that I I put more effort in terms of just like looking up little things about Batman and Robin because that whole train wreck. There's some funny yeah. things surrounding that and things that are kind of sad surrounding that that I was like, I kind of want to know <laughs> more about that. And with Forever, it's not hard to see that the two years between Returns and Forever, there was a good chance that Forever was going to be not only the last Batman film in that in that series, could be the last Batman film in at least a decade if it wasn't good enough. <laughs> so it was... Got, they had to put everything into it. They put a decent amount of budget behind it. They bring in Joel Schumacher. They completely changed the aesthetic and the design of Gotham. Yeah. And part of part of that was because Batman Returns, though fairly successful, was kind of a disappointing it made disappointing returns. And also yeah. like was harder to merchandise because of the creepier Yes. Aesthetic designs. I think there was there was plans to have Happy Meal toys that fell through <laughs> that because fell through Batman because Returns. It was too scary. Yeah, and they're not appropriate for children, a- according to McDonald's. Apparently, I, I I God, I hope this is real. But there was a promotional tactic to put like a bunch of the like, Catwoman posters up, and literally people were stealing those posters <laughs> off of bus stops and yeah. just anywhere they could find it. To the point where I think if you see a poster from Batman Returns of Catwoman. It is a very rare thing to have now. <laughs> it was just a, it was a film that was bringing out all the weirdos and not the kids. Yeah. But it, it made a lot of money. It just made noticeably less than 89. Yeah. So, of course, going into Forever, they had to make something that was going to be more merchandisable, more family friendly, which is hilarious. Watching Forever, thinking that when the film feels just super erotic. Yeah. <laughs> And super flamboyant. Yeah, absolutely. And what we have is, like I said earlier, the checklist is gets filled out. 
You have Joel Schumacher, who's made some good movies, made some big popular movies, especially in the 80s. You have Val Kilmer, who is an incredible actor, one of my favorite actors of all time. Yeah. Putting him in the role as Batman, can't go wrong with that. You have a vastly different aesthetic that is, um, I will say, it's probably the best part about Forever is the aesthetic. Because sure. it goes, it goes again, it goes full-blown, gaudy, neon colors. But, yeah. like, it really doesn't pull its punches with that. The entire design feels unique and fascinating and also gross and gaudy. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> it, kind of a... It works. Yeah, it's a very plastic, neon kind yes. of... Uh, it looks like a toy set. On, yeah, yeah. And honestly, this one... You can still see a little bit of that that they're trying to build it off of what Burton was going for. There's yes. still that kind of heightened reality and exaggerated proportions of things. Oh but, yes, but it's uh, oh yeah, yeah. We- it's more it's more I don't know, kidified or toy uh, toyetic, I guess. Yeah. Oh, I was yeah. We're we're not saying that Burton's version of Gotham is perfect or realistic. No, <laughs> Burton's version yeah. of Gotham is gothic. Oh yeah. All caps, italicized, bold. Yeah. It is this just puts kind of a brighter coat of paint on it yeah. and puts less care into the the details of bringing it to life. It almost <laughs> looks like what you think the 80s version of Batman would have been. Yeah. Had they made it actually in the 80s, yeah, except but... in 1994. Yes. <laughs> so we have a new Batman, we have a new director, we have a vastly different style, but it's one that's very eye-popping. It's very merchandisable to kids, but I think the biggest reason why people look so fondly at this film are the villains one in particular yeah we have tommy lee jones as two-face and of course jim carrey in his fucking prime as the riddler yeah and i we are not trying to make enemies when we say this or at least (laughs) i say this but i hate to admit that i don't really think the jim carrey shtick works that well yeah with the riddler in... Well, yeah, and maybe not even the Riddler specifically, but it just doesn't. I guess when you're adapting characters like this, you know, characters with kind of known mo's and personalities and that sort of thing, I get frustrated when when you know filmmakers or studios say to an actor, "Hey, you just you do your thing. You be funny. Yeah, be funny on camera. We're not going to give you any material. Just do it." Yeah, just be um, funny, and that's what that's what Riddler or Jim Carrey's Riddler feels like. It's just Jim Carrey being Jim Carrey to the fullest. And yeah, like, I'll if rephrase. you love Jim Carrey, that's cool. But I I found it grating. Yeah, let me <laughs> rephrase it. I think the Jim Carrey could pull off a great Riddler, sure. but the version that we get of him is not the Riddler in any way. It is exactly yeah. what Andy is saying. It is just Carrey. It's just Jim Carrey. <laughs> it is just Ace Ventura, liar, liar. The yeah. mask kind would of, ultimately be would dumb have, and dumber to yeah. a degree. Would have made more sense as the Joker, but maybe not a Joker that would have interested me that much no. either. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'd agree with that as well. And it's just, again, it, people love his shtick in the 90s so much. I'm not saying I don't. I think the mask is good. I like the first Ace Ventura. Yeah. I remember liking Dumb and Dumber. It's been yeah, we're years. Not, we're not above Jim Carrey Oh, absolutely here. not. Listen. 
I thought he was fun in Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> Andy didn't, and I understand that completely. Yeah, well, you're throwing me under the bus now. No, I'm not trying Feeding to say... me to the wolves. I'm not saying you're wrong at Everyone's all. Everyone's going to cancel me I'm because just... I hate Sonic the Hedgehog. I mean, there are worse things about that film that I know you'll go off on. The film that listened to the fans and redeemed studio <laughs> blockbusters no, because I mean, it redesigned Sonic. Yeah, we, we like the Carrie shtick. I just think it's really weird how... I, do, I don't like when everyone characters else, are just the Carrie yeah. shtick. I also That's think my it's, problem. I also don't like when it seems like when you look past the Carrie shtick in terms of the characters we have, everyone, and I genuinely mean everyone, excluding one in particular, feels underwritten as hell. Yeah. Everyone, especially Kilmer, which is probably the biggest offense that the film has, is that yeah. they have Kilmer, who will literally just, if they told him to go in a bat cave for three months to become more like the Batman, I think he would have fucking done it. Yeah. He's a man that loves his craft and was at that, like, basically was at his prime as well. Yeah. And what we get from him is, like, the most, almost the most forgettable Bruce. Just a milk toast, yeah. In Batman, just because he's there. Yeah. He's just filling the suit, which is a bummer because you could have gotten anyone to fill the suit. Yeah, he doesn't really get any direct character exploration. Uh, I will say, Kilmer gets one moment to really shine, and it's the scene where he's like explaining to Robin why like revenge can't be the ultimate goal. That was, that That's was a legitimate a good that Batman scene, and Kilmer sells it, and uh, whatever his name is who plays Robin. Chris O'Donnell. He's there, and it's fine. Yeah. But no, um, like, no, yeah, Kilmer Kilmer is great in as much as he can be great, which is not much. Yeah. And there's also um, I mean, there's great moments. There are great shots throughout the scene yeah. too. There I mean, there's of course the iconic bat silhouette where yeah. like a giant mechanical bat that they made for the film right, kind of right. comes close to the screen. I think one of my favorite shots that I completely forgot because I didn't realize, I don't know if I've necessarily seen this film all the way through, and if I have, not at the same time, just in bits and pieces, like Frankensteining viewings together. Yeah. But one of my favorite shots, of course, is um, Two-Face's death, because he flips a coin to see if he's going to kill Batman. Batman throws a bunch of coins at Two-Face that <laughs> freaks him out. As he falls to his death, his coin comes back heads up. So he didn't. He wasn't going to be able to kill them anyway. But it's a nice little character moment where yeah. it's like his hand sticking up. He and was the coin so he was so right obsessed with the the with coin and yeah. the coin and whatnot. And oh yeah, speaking of Two Face, Tommy Lee Jones is in this movie, and it is yeah. insane because he is. It's funny to think that one of the big things about this film that Andy and I know is that Tommy Lee Jones hated Jim Carrey on this film because yeah, of Jim his buffoonery. Jim Carrey's talked about this story a few times, and basically, yeah, they, that. Um, Tommy Lee Jones couldn't stand Jim Carrey's shtick, his energy, his high, you know, his his antics, basically. And he once looked Jim Carrey in the face, according to Jim Carrey, and said, I cannot sanction your buffoonery. <laughs> and basically the two didn't talk offset after that, which is just weird looking at it because Tommy Lee Jones' performance in this movie... He's a is, buffoon. It's just as much buffoonery as yeah. the Riddler is. And honestly, that might be another reason why the Riddler doesn't work so well, because Two-Face isn't really... He doesn't contrast the Riddler. They're both 
wacky, they're both crazy insane. guys. Yeah, There's, yeah, they're both super cartoony, over the top, to ridiculous think, guys. To think that three years after this film, he would become K is fascinating, <laughs> because it's like this is just a Tommy Lee Jones performance that is fascinating because it's an it's an outlier. This is not yeah. what this man is known for in any way, and he brings it. He kills it oh, as yeah. best as he can. He, he puts his all into Even it. Even in the scene that is hard not to laugh at when they show the flashback of Harvey getting the acid in the face and then Fal Kilmer in full bat suit jumps over the <laughs> railing to try and save him. Yeah. Even when that scene is just outwardly and noticeably just is objectively silly. Yeah. He still is like putting all the effort into like the the, the sizzling face and oh my face like yeah he, right he puts it into it it's just hilarious to think that he doesn't see him his acting as buffoonery compared <laughs> to Carrie maybe he just didn't I don't know maybe he just didn't continue the buffoonery off camera as much as that Carrie is true. did because Car- I mean Carrie that's just his thing yeah but but Tommy I mean your version of Harvey Dent has a has a base has a layer. That is split down the middle, is angel and demon themed on either side, and also you have two guns. One is like charred black, and the other is like pristine. Like your yeah. your stick is just as goofy. Yeah, uh, but I, I mean, mean, I I love me some Tommy Lee Jones performances, but oh yeah, dude seems like a little bit of a, a little bit of a codger, a little bit of an old coot. Yes, um, yes, a, uh, you know, a tight wad. So. I understand that he and Jim Carrey wouldn't vibe. Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. But now that we've gotten, uh, we've talked about the best aspects of the film. <laughs> because the best aspects of this film are... Wait, those were the best? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh. To me, the best aspects of the film are the look and the villains. Yeah, sure. Everything else, it just falls kind of apart once you, once you don't focus on them. The Robin shit is just so forgettable. I don't yeah. care. Why does Chris O'Donnell look like he's 30 years old when he's really 24? What did they do to his hair? I don't like that. <laughs> yeah, they, the I big, don't know how old he's supposed to be. The big kind of expansion to the lore with this entry is the addition of Robin. Yeah, um, and that Two-Face killed his parents. They did. Whoa. Schumacher pulled a Burton. Right. Schumacher pulled a Burton and said instead of just a mafioso who kills the Flying Graysons, it was actually Two-Face. Yep. And... It doesn't really add much to it. It just no, it just makes it all. I guess makes sense in a single movie uh, yeah, without can, having too many it. too many separate threads. But yeah, um, yeah, Robin is pretty pretty just kind of shoved in there and not not given a lot of time or care to. Well, plenty of time, but not a lot of care to make him an interesting character. No, he just kind of and when he gets the suit, it's so jarring because it's like, who made that for you? Yeah. There's no there's no animated series like tubes <laughs> with different suits in them. Where did you get that suit? Yeah, where did that come from? Batman was not going to wear a red and green suit. <laughs> Alfred doesn't make those. If he does, I want to see him make it. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean there's that there's the been kind of a cool scene if like Robin had stolen the bat suit or something. You mean did like an into the Spider-Verse thing where Miles takes like a, a Peter suit and turns it into his own? Like if Well that if too, Robin or if he had with... just literally stolen the bat suit out of the bat cave, like Terry McGinnis does in Batman Beyond. Oh, that's and right. And then kind of forces his way into the bat. Why do you have to remind me of a much better version <laughs> of Batman? I've been watching a lot of Batman recently. Oh, Batman Beyond is so fucking good. <laughs> I love that show so much. That opening. Okay, I, I gotta get back into yeah, this because yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna lose track. Well, well, hear me out. I'm listening. 
Batman Beyond live action movie, Keaton returns as old man Bruce. Mm-hmm. He's already coming back for the, the Flash stuff and all that and yeah. Batgirl, but I think that'd be way cooler than what they're doing. Yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> I mean, I, that would be totally fine with that. I think it's apparently that idea is not off the table. I think yeah, they've, they've talked worked about on it. it in the past. I don't think not they have necessarily a, Keaton, but like a Batman Beyond adaptation. Yeah, I think they've because it's it's similar to like almost to a degree of like a Spider Man twenty ninety nine where it's like oh we could do that, but we probably won't. <laughs> yeah, and it's like at okay, least Batman Beyond. There's kind of a built in, oh yeah, fan base of sorts because no, like, that so. show was popular and there's comics and stuff. Yeah, I love Terry. It'd be fun yeah. to have a not just just juice up. Timothy Chalamet, make him do it. <laughs> just make him take steroids. Oh my gosh! Yeah. No, I thought you were gonna say boo boo. I thought you were gonna actually. It's been a long time <laughs> we, since we've, we're we've given some boo boo Stuart love, and now is yeah. the time. But yeah, Batman Forever. I is there is there anything big you want to talk about in terms of why it's bad? Because I think to me uh, it's just it's just an accumulation. Yeah, I mean a lot of it. It to, is kind of a middle. Looking back, it's kind of a middle ground between the two films on either side of it because it it ends up it is clearly building off of the aesthetic and the tone that burton established more so in his first film than his second film but um it's watchable yeah it's watchable in any case um but it kind of it's clear schumacher and warner brothers are kind of pushing batman into that kind of more more you know toyified kidified um marketable direction um and and it ends up feeling like this really kind of watered down mishmash of ideas Mm. that are totally underbaked not Mm. baked at all in some places and it leads us into them kind of leaning even harder into that toy aesthetic in uh in batman and robin yeah a big a big way to show almost like a litmus test to see what kind of batman film we're about to get to a degree is how you introduce Batman. Because in 89's Batman, we get an introduction where it's basically, you don't see him suit up. You don't see, you know, Gordon kind of likes Batman at that point, but he's not like a huge friend yet. We basically just see Batman show up, kick the shit out of a couple crooks, and scares the living daylights out of him, then he's gone. Yeah, he's a little bit of yeah. like a, a shadowy stalker, a yeah. monster. In 89, or in, in 92 with Batman Returns, we get this hilariously just extravagant situation where when the bat signal hits, it hits a bunch of mirrors that lead <laughs> to the bat, to the Bruce Banner, Bruce Banner, God, the Wayne Manor, Yeah, and he's in a giant room, and then as he's in this giant room, a giant light just comes in with the bat signal, yeah, he's got and he this, goes right this in. Rube Goldberg setup yeah. of mirrors that angles the signal right in through his office oh, window, yeah. and it's like, it looks like a Dr. Seuss It's hilarious, house. but I love it because the yeah. shot is great. It's yeah. it's very, it's, it's almost haunting, but also kind of giddy in a way where it's like oh it's time for him to get back in the suit and then in batman forever we get a scene where you see get some val kilmer badass you get some val kilmer you know you see the mask you see paul put it on he puts everything on you get a whole full body shot and then alfred asks you know would you like anything to eat and then (laughs) val kilmer goes i'll get drive through yeah and that already just feels a thousand times different than the last two films yeah cut to Batman and Robin's intro. <laughs> so Batman Forever comes out. It's a huge hit. 
You know, there's a seal song tied to it. You got a oh, young yeah. Nicole Kidman. You know, it sells a shit ton of toys. It's Jim Carrey right before Dumb and Dumber, but after The Mask. So, like, yeah. prime time to get him. Honestly, if it, if he was not in that film, it would have fucking tanked, I think, in regards yeah. to popularity. So, three years after that, Kilmer's out. Schumacher's still there. The film made, I believe, forever made, I think, the, the second most amount of money in terms of the 90s films. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. I think it's, I think in terms of the amount of box office earnings, it goes 89, forever, then there's a bit of a gap, there's returns, and then there's Batman and Robin. Yeah. And so forever doing so well, they want to merchandise it even more. They're pushing Schumacher to make something even more flashy, even more toy-friendly. And so in 97, <laughs> the introduction to Batman and Robin is another suit-up. You see you see their crotch, you see their ass, you see their bat nipples, which was a big thing about <laughs> Batman Forever. Is now he has bat nipples that apparently Nicole Kidman really wanted to play with in that film because they it has a whole scene dedicated just for her to thirst over Batman's right, suit. Yeah. And now in Batman and Robin, the opening scene to introduce the characters is just them bickering about why chicks love the car. And Batman oh, goes, yeah. this is why Superman works alone. Yeah. And goes, we'll be late, Alfred. And he'll go, I'll cancel the pizzas. And immediately, yeah. I have a headache. It, <laughs> it feels doesn't like, that go feels away. feels like a scene out of like the 90s Ninja Turtles movies. From the third one specifically, yeah. yeah, it's just like it's it's like in the third Ninja Maybe Turtles film where they just pizza, where they just jump into the turtles dancing. <laughs> it has no reason to be doing that, yeah. but it just does. They yeah, just it has that same energy, and unfortunately, it's not. I would say Turtles Three is more fun than this is. <laughs> Maybe so. And yeah. say and yeah, take that as you will, because in my opinion. There is very little, if anything, if anything redeemable in this fucking film. Uh, Batman and Robin. Yeah, this movie fucking blows. Oh, it's not. Yeah. It's, it's not even mess. funny as much as you want it to be. Yeah, that that's kind it's, of what I was hoping in rewatching it because I hadn't seen it in years and years. Um, and there's been kind of a resurgence around it. I think there's a lot of people appreciate it as kind of a relic of like, oh. Nobody's going to bother making a superhero movie like this these days. You know, people want yeah. cool action and serious themes and that sort of thing. And nobody would ever make a movie that's as zany and, you know, coked up as Batman and Robin. And they're right. They wouldn't. Um, <laughs> but it's also not crazy and fun all the time. A lot of it is just really bad writing and character development. Not not like actual character development, but attempts at character development. And oh God! Yeah. Characters standing around, you know, dramatizing stupid things that nobody cares about. Like, the, I mean, the whole central conceit of the movie is that Batman and Robin aren't getting along mm-hmm. um, because Batman doesn't trust Robin, and Robin doesn't, I guess, trust Batman. And that's those matters are made worse by Poison Ivy's. Um, you know, uh, pheromones that make everybody attracted to her. And so they get jealous over poison ivy, jealous of each other. And thank God she's got those pheromones because the <laughs> costume design department did not do Uma Thurman any justice. No. I know a, any lot, of, time. a lot of people had like a sexual awakening to Uma Thurman's poison ivy. I don't get it. I don't get it. Honestly. She looks gross. Honestly, Sorry, Catwoman Uma. Returns, understandable. Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. Absolutely. Because like that whole film is just key it's just Bruce Wayne being 
am I into like BDSM? Why am I so into this? <laughs> what woman? is this awakening in me? Yeah, yeah. yeah while well, as a Batman and Robin, her fucking suit looks so weirdly cheap and also over designed yeah. hilariously. Yeah, over designed, like, too much just detail and she, weird touches. And... She gets like pink cone hair at one uh, point or two cones like yeah. hair kind of and the weird like leafy uh. eyebrow things which is like kind of you know taken from some comic designs which poison ivy's got had so many wonderful designs in the comics so i'm not going to knock that but it does oh, not yeah. translate here no um, it it very much one of the things that forever kind of whether it was trying to or not it basically goes oh by the way we're not doing really the burton thing anymore we're kind of doing more adam west again and then in Batman yeah. and Robin, it's full blown. This is cheese. Yeah. No, well, Schumacher we had kind of turned it into his own thing at this point. Yeah. Um, I think he kind of tried to springboard off of Batman Returns in Forever, but by this point, he's kind of had free reign to make the movie he wants to make. And you know, Schumacher likes bright colors and and flamboyant storytelling and like that's yeah. cool and you want toys fuck it give me yeah, the money to make it, more designs more suits yeah new characters which this marks the most villains we've gotten in a batman because i don't really think of catwoman as a villain in returns <laughs> not really she she's is for like one scene yeah because catwoman is more of like an anti-hero more than yeah. anything or and she's got her own agenda but in batman and robin you get the most villains you get Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze, the main villain, who I think goes away halfway through the film from time <laughs> to time because it's Arnold Schwarzenegger who's probably busy with other stuff. You have Uma Thurman as Poison Ivy. And let me get my phone because I opened up the cast list because I couldn't remember oh, who plays Bane. Um, <laughs> we don't... Jeep Swenson as okay. Bane. And I could say more of where he's from, but it really doesn't matter because his performance is hilarious, and it's <laughs> probably the funniest part of this film for me. Yeah, Bane is a Bane is like the shittiest looking part of this movie, yes. but also just hilarious. I mean, he's covered head to toe in like painted on veins, body, yeah, body paint and veins. Um, he's yeah, he's supposed to look super roided out, which is how the character looks. But like, mm-hmm. he's just kind of a big dude with green lines painted on his skin, and all he really says is "Bane." Yeah, he doesn't like really say anything else. Yeah, the best part about Bane is that he has a form I like to call trench coat Bane, where he's in disguise. Yes, and he looks like fantastic. Raphael in a trench coat yeah, from the it's, the nineties Ninja Turtle. It's movie. fantastic. He wears a cute little fedora, and he has a trench coat that barely fits him. Yeah. And it was always funny to see him with it. And if there, if there was any time that they thought they were going to make a trench coat Bane action figure, they should have. Oh yeah, and if did they, they did. Not? I hope they did. I feel if like not. Kenner probably made a... God, if Kenner... <laughs> I wonder who did the toys for this. <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know. But, yeah, it's this is the type of film that it's more fun to barely watch it, catch it for a second to see something stupid and go, that's funny because that's really stupid, and then go back to doing whatever it is you were doing prior. Because yeah. if there's anything that these films progressing into the trilogy show is that... Uh, they didn't need to be two hours. I don't even think any one of them had to be two hours in this trilogy. I think yeah. Returns has the most uh, has the most defense to being two hours because I think yeah. Burton's really trying his best to flesh out the characters and flesh out the world a bit more. And especially Penguin, Penguin's just like there's so much given to Penguin in that film. Yeah. Well, as with Forever, 
it could have been maybe a hundred minutes, ninety minutes mm-hmm. at least. Yeah. And then with this film, this film could have been sixty minutes. They just at a certain point, they go, "Oh, Mister Freeze is stealing all of the diamonds because his suit runs on diamonds." <laughs> and then at a certain point in the film, he gets put in prison. And then yeah. they just break him out of prison. And then he starts stealing diamonds again. And then at one point he's like, hey, wait a minute. I can put all my diamonds in that telescope thing <laughs> and it'll become a laser. And if I time it just right, I can freeze the entirety of Kong. <laughs> and that's kind of the film. Yeah. <laughs> it's not. And also Batgirl shows up. Because oh, yeah, why she's not? She's there. And Alfred has a subplot about dying of yes. an illness. McGregor's. Or- Syndrome. Yes, McGregor syndrome. And because the, his... the big thing about Mr. Freeze, in case you don't know, and God, if I think this is one thing that both and I, both Andy and I, could agree on. If they tried to do Freeze, or if they do Freeze in the Reeves films, I would be excited because I want to see like an actual good Freeze in a film. Yeah. yeah. But um, the whole thing about Freeze is that his wife has a condition that he couldn't couldn't cure, so he put her under ice, and in the process of trying to created cure ultimately created himself yeah his free suit and cryogenically froze himself in a way they they do this tragic backstory in batman and robin but it's batman and robin so it's funny when you see arnold schwarzenegger in a lab coat that doesn't really fit right and (laughs) then you just hear him yell as he falls into a giant pit of ice kind of compound thing that turns him into mr freeze that was just opened right next to where he was working (laughs) and I yeah, mean, basically, it just looks like he falls in a vat of liquid nitrogen. Yeah, and you know, Schwarzenegger throws out those ice puns, and oh yeah, that's a, that's he another, knows exactly. I would say that's a highlight of the film is the ice puns. The amount of ice puns. Yeah. I think at a certain point it starts just being like, oh, that's really just not funny. That's funny, and then it just stops <laughs> I like being the funny. Insistence of it though. Oh yeah, just, like kind of like how Bane can only say Bane. Yeah, Mr. Freeze can only speak in ice puns. I think my favorite is probably when he's initially put into prison and he's talking to the guards and he just says, allow me to break the ice. (laughs) He has no suit on. He could get beaten at any moment. He could die at any moment, but he can't help himself. Is he wearing his robe at that point? He's wearing his... uh, robe? No, he's wearing his uh, prison outfit. He's wearing he's got a prison outfit. But his robe, when they're watching A Year Without Santa Claus. The the bathrobe with the uh, bunny slippers, or maybe there's polar polar bear bear slippers. I think it's polar bear slippers. With Vivica A. Fox shows up for a scene for (laughs) some reason. Also, Coolio shows up for a scene in this film. Coolio's there. Um... Yeah, yeah so this movie just, I mean, it's throwing as much at the screen as it can. Um, mm-hmm. I think at this point, Warner Brothers was like, let's sell toys, man. Uh, and Schumacher was like, sure, okay. Sure. But it's like, what's so weird is like, what do you turn into a toy other than like the action figures and maybe like the, the vehicles? Because when you think of like toy sets, I can't think of really anything... Like, I mean, you could do you, the ice rink set. You could do the ice rink. At the you beginning, could, you the could do like, the heist. Um, you Ooh. could do a Poison Ivy jungle set. I don't know. Oh, I don't God. know what they did do. Um, I know they did the... I feel like there's plenty. All you need is things that look cool. Yeah. I mean, that's true. And kids by are, cool, kids are dumb I mean, enough. like, zany and over the top. 
Yeah, I was a kid once. I was dumb enough. I, I understand that. I mean, and I think Batman and Robin each have two different co- two or three different costumes in this movie. Yeah, which I'm pretty sure I owned. I think the the free suit oh, you, Batman. You owned the yeah. The I think Arctic, I had one of them. I don't know why Arctic I had action, them. Batman and Robin. I and think Batgirl so. gets one too. Bat Batgirl, yeah, she has similar to Batman Forever. I guess Alfred must have made her a suit. I think it does confirm in Batman and Robin. That he might make the suits because yeah. I think he makes Alfred a suit. Alfred must have for like her. a 3D printer. Or We're something. gonna need a bigger he's, case. He's making rubber nippled suits for everybody. Yep, it is a really bad movie. It is. Yeah, I understand the resurgence of support for it and the the appreciability yeah. of it as a relic of its time and of yes. a very weird state in superhero movies because it's kind of right before the 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 dawn of you know, massive, seriously taken blockbusters. This is two years before X-Men. Yeah. This is right before all that takes five, off. So five before Spider-Man. It it's is, interesting that Batman and Robin is is the result of the studio pushing things on a movie where a studio mm-hmm. would never want a movie this weird and stupid to be their superhero blockbuster now yeah it's like i mean that's the thing like this is avant-garde compared to what studios try and push oh yeah that's the thing too is like like, wow this is weird i think a big thing i think i just read today because i put in my letterbox review for it where it's just like patrick willems a youtuber we both follow is just like at a certain point this film was considered to be like one of the worst superhero films of all time and it's nowhere near that anymore in fact it's much more fascinating than films that could fit that moniker now yeah but that i mean yeah, but that's about the the extent to which I could view this positively is yes. fascinating. Yeah. Not to, not the movie itself really, like the narrative. It's not interesting mm-hmm. to follow along to, but it's it's a fascinating just weird relic from mm-hmm. a different place in time that's like how did all these pieces come together in this way? It's it's just funny how to were think these choices made. It's funny to think that towards the end of the 80s, Superman 4 comes out and just completely kills Superman for the longest time and then in the 90s the same happens to batman but for vastly different reasons i think to me superman 4 if you've never seen it good now good for you it's a fucking pathetic film in every way (laughs) shape and form it's just vastly like everyone involved has their own agenda and what comes together is a film that just feels (laughs) so pathetic and just like that one that one I think is because three uh, is the evil Superman. One, it's a right? it's like radioactive man or something like oh, that. Okay. It's someone who gets he gets like uh, he just he gets power from the sun like Superman. Yeah, and uh, gosh, I, or nuclear man. It might be nuclear man. Okay. That sounds stupid enough. It's a canon film, so with how cheap it looks, I mean. Oh yes, yeah. okay. canon group. I, Sorry, yes. I was like uh, canon, like it's canon to the comic books. No, 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 no. <laughs> the probably the most uh, well-known part, and probably the most iconic, hilarious part about Superman Four is they fight on the moon, and the way they did that scene is that they basically just put a bunch of black fabric felt <laughs> kind of around the set. Yeah. And at one point while they're fighting, I swear to God, you can see them hit the felt. That's awesome. And it's hilariously bad. And kind of and pretty pathetic. <laughs> so when you get to a decade later with Batman and Robin, it goes from like a pathetic end to like an iconic version of the character to Batman and Robin. You're just like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> what is this film? I don't. <laughs> okay, and I this guess movie, this is what how you're much doing. Did this movie cost like a hundred hundred and sixty dollars. So million think about dollars? that. So put that inflation. Think about that with inflation. That was 160 <sighs> yeah. in the 90s. 
So that's yeah. got to be more Give than Give me a I second th- to do some math. That's going to be more than what they put in, like, a big block. I mean, that's probably more than what they put into Black Adam, the next best, biggest thing that DC's going to have in the next few months. Yeah. Uh, that's worth... If anyone knows, I just made a Black Adam joke, and Andy didn't <laughs> I laugh. Was and not, I, I was mathing, <laughs> or rather Googling. Uh, looks like it would be worth almost $300 million today. That is insane. <laughs> that is insane. The I film ha- does not look that way. No, it does the not. The film does not look that way. And if I were guessing, most of that went to casting choices. Because, Probably. Because, you know, they threw every name at the at the mm-hmm. poster. Yeah, and it failed. <laughs> it failed yeah. miserably. It killed Batman to the point where if you have anybody... Or if you're one of those people, which I understand completely, when the Batman started getting trailers and posters, and you're like, oh my god, we're getting another gritty Batman film. Well, I understand that. I will also let you know that that is the best interpretation in terms of like handling Batman to do the dark and gritty aspect, because when you don't do that... Well, it's look the at the 90s. Anybody's, it's the best way anybody's yes. found to do Batman. That's a better way to since put it. Batman and Robin. Yeah, that's it's a, it's a better template for people coming in yeah, to do that than like from a, from a business perspective, it's more reliable. People yeah. like serious Batman. You mean I you mean, can I like You can also Batman. be thankful to Batman and Robin for we got the Dark Knight trilogy because because of that, we yeah. had a man that came in that was like, "Hi, I'd like to make an ultra-realistic version of Batman in a Bush era. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, fine. Go ahead. And it's honestly led to two of the best films, two of the best Batman, Batman films, films ever made. Yeah. And, and also Dark Knight <laughs> Rises, <laughs> which is, God, if there's any reason why we do that trilogy is for me to shit on that fucking film. Yeah. That movie is so not good. Yeah. But, I mean, it's better than Batman and Robin. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay, this is my question to you, then. Uh-huh. Because I thought about this when I was putting my letterboxed in. Would you rather watch this again or Dawn of Justice? Dawn of Justice, for sure. Okay, good. Uh, I, I felt I, the same I, way, I but I, I didn't know. I gave him the same rating, like star rating. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's ultimately just like the amount of joy I got out of that viewing. That's usually what my star rating means. Mm-hmm. Like how much did it work for me? Because mm-hmm. um, I, I feel yeah, the Batman same way. Yeah, Batman v Superman at least has, I mean, it's, it's, it's a bad trying. movie. But it's got so many kind of interesting ideas boiling under the surface that it's like, a mess of high concepts and it's yeah. like i wish this was pulled off it's mm-hmm. not but i'm rooting for it yeah it's failing <laughs> more I'm than su- it's failing than it's failing more than succeeding but it's trying nonetheless yeah. and you appreciate that batman well, and robin is so it's it's just like makeup painted over studio cogs it feels like everyone is aware that it's going to be bad and they had a gun to their head and they were like you have to make this yeah there's there are rumors that like Clooney said like as soon as they were done filming they were like so we just killed the franchise right <laughs> yeah. there are rumors that like apparently yeah. if anyone gave him shit about the film he would just refund their ticket on the spot yeah there was apparently something that's oh god that's if it's true fuck media at that time which is I mean it's not anything too surprising but like Alicia Silverstone got a bunch of flack at the time because apparently. She gained a few pounds, so they had to make a new Bats, Batwoman oh, suit. Yeah. And just a bunch of tabloids gave her shit to the point where Schumacher had to constantly fight that and defend her and be like, what's wrong? Like, she ate a pizza or something, too. Yeah. Who gives a fuck? She's a person. Leave her alone. Of course, then that goes on to become the story of, like, every 
you know woman who's ever played a superhero or a blockbuster yeah. heroine ever again it's and always it's like, the same ugh, like so stupid yeah. and and it's also the fact that it's like apparently schumacher to a degree i think he made like a a loose like hey if you want another one of these here's this yeah, yeah. and i think the rumor was at one point it was called batman triumphant and howard stern was a possible for the scarecrow yeah which is so 90s it hurts but the other, apparently, the other thing too is Schumacher. Honestly, really, he honestly felt bad for making something like Batman and Robin yeah. because he didn't, he didn't set out to make something like that initially. So mm-hmm. apparently, one of his ideas was, I want to make a year one film. Mm-hmm. And apparently, he had, I think, he had someone in mind for like a young Jim Gordon. He wanted to make it's the way that it's worded i think is bad he he wanted a catwoman from the streets or something oh, like that yeah. but basically he just wanted to do like i want to go back to kind of what burton wanted and warner brothers is like nah <laughs> we don't trust you with that even though it was mainly warner brothers i would assume that pushed that more than anything yeah. but after that the series laid i mean the franchise and batman as a ip lay dormant for a while at the at the time it was like oh the animated series is great that's all I really need. <laughs> and then another animated series came out in the early 2000s, and then everything changed with Nolan's Batman Begins. Yeah. And here we are. Almost two decades since then, we've had three, now we have three different iterations of the character. Yeah. <laughs> We're about to get a fourth per se, but it's a returnee with Keaton in the Flash being a yeah. older kind of version of the Burton Batman. And yeah, we, I mean, it's assumed, I don't know that it's confirmed, Firm, but it's assumed that he is playing an older version of the exact same Bruce from those movies. I so think like so, it's, yeah. It's tying those canons together. So in the span of 20 years, we'll have four different people as Batman yeah. in at least a film in the DC universe. Yeah. And it's it's just it's it's an era. It is an, it's 100%. The Batman sequels are just an era that you understand why they were as popular as they were, but you also understand why... Warner Brothers has been afraid to come back to that. Yeah, and also, yeah, just afraid to like kind of experiment, I think. I mean, I think yeah. I think Batman Begins Nolan's version was in its own way an experimentation with the character. Yeah. You know, when he came back and brought Batman back after the the failure of Batman and Robin and wanted to do this super um serious version. That was an experimentation at the time, but yeah. now because of this, the combined success of that and the failure of Batman and Robin, we're now in the era, era of, of serious Batman. And I'm interested mm. to see how long that, that holds up before we find a new era. Oh, what's kind of uh, a... Or if the Reeves version evolves into something else. I don't um, know. Yeah. I mean, this is the one that they're putting their most money into because we are also getting HBO Max shows yeah, attached right. to the series, which I think that's only been confirmed right now is a Gordon show. Yeah. Like a GCPD show and maybe a Penguin show. I have no idea. Yeah. But I think what's kind of a fascinating, though, is that there have been attempts. There was one notable attempt to make a sillier Batman in the late 2000s, early 2010s, that honestly a lot of people liked, but unfortunately it was like the worst time to show up on Cartoon Network, which is uh-huh. The Brave and the Bolt. Oh yeah, the bat like that's that show basically feels like 
And that's a pretty good show. It's a good show. It's um, it's probably one of my favorite versions of Aquaman. Yeah. <laughs> I love Aquaman in that show. Uh, D, I think Diedrich Bader plays Batman in that and kills it. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, too, is while Warner Brothers is definitely afraid to do a campier Batman, they are not afraid to do camp anymore. And I think a lot of that is shown with the yeah. trust in James Gunn because now we have two things that are technically in the DC universe that is a probably the best DC universe film we've gotten so far yeah. with the Suicide Squad. Yeah. And then a TV show that has people who I don't even think ever saw the Suicide Squad watched and fell in love with. And that yeah. show is that show has some of the silliest makes Batmite canon, <laughs> makes fun of Green Arrow, has one of the funniest like has one of the funniest ending cameos I think I've seen in a while of just like having Jason Momoa get like kind of oh, hinted yeah, at and whatnot. Because yeah. they talk about Aquaman all the time, so of right. course they're gonna have to bring that up at some point. But uh yeah, just Warner Brothers I think is finally at a place where they feel comfortable with their creators, much more so than yeah. when the in the nineties. Which is yeah. not surprising, but thank God. Because <laughs> Well, and clearly a bit more so than uh, even in the Snyder era. Yeah. Oh, now, absolutely. Now, I mean, now that they've rid themselves of Zack Snyder and his power. The the true the true king of DC that'll never come back. Yeah. The, <laughs> the once and future king. Yeah. Actually, there was a article that I saw today. I don't know if it was Collider, but it was just like the idea of like, with the success of the Batman, now is the perfect time to bring that. back Ben Affleck's Batman. I, I almost read it, and then I decided not to. I but mean, I was, I, yeah. It just is like that man. Oh, gosh. That is just, it's such a weird time, but a great time to be a Batman fan because since Batman is so popular, there's so many fucking animated films, so many different projects surrounding him. Yeah, it's I the mean, perfect time to do that. Honestly, ever since 1989, other than the gap between Batman and Robin and Batman Begins, it's always been a good time to be a Batman Absolutely. fan. Just no. in terms of the con, the amount of content that's out there. And yeah, it's one. It's one of those. WB things. knows he's their prize pig. Mm -hmm. You can respect what Schumacher tries to do to an extent. I think in both Forever and Batman and Robin, ultimately because what he does leads to the downfall and the rise again of Batman yeah. in the 2000s. Yeah. And also the late Schum late John the late great Schumacher has some great films under his belt. He's not a bad director. He also he just probably isn't a studio director per yeah. se or a big blockbuster yeah, right. director. But uh yeah, that is the Batman sequels. Yeah. Um I don't have a lot to add. No. <laughs> it is it is exactly what we said. It's 1992's Batman Returns, 1994's Batman Forever, and 97's Batman and Robin. Yeah. If you've never seen any of those 90s films, I would recommend just going through all of them, including 89, just to see, like, oh, so that's why we don't do this anymore. Yeah, I mean, it's just definitely at least an thing. interesting look back at a different time in superhero yeah. movies. and Yeah, for sure. And the history of the character. But yeah, I, but yeah, but unlike the Matrix sequels, at least to us, there's not a lot to chew on once you get past that first entry. Yeah, and not a lot of yeah, not a lot of like actual creative merit. Yeah, but um, thankfully, what we're going on to next is again we're shifting super far on the other side again. Yeah. We keep going back and forth with our choices, and this time around, it'll be 
in time for Oscar season because our next trilogy has something to do with an Oscar. Andy, what are we going to do next? Yeah, well, uh, everybody loves the Oscars. Everybody loves awards. I mean, not really. We we all hate the Oscars right now because they're trying to cancel all those uh, all those categories. Yeah. But, um, you know, in a, in a broad, cosmic, maybe sarcastic sense, we all love the Oscars. Mm-hmm. And um, we, lo- we love giving people Oscars over and over again. And yeah. there are some actors who love and often get Oscars over, over and over again, or at least nominated. Um, and this year, Denzel Washington is up for, what, his, I don't know how many nominations. Um, I believe it's his fourth. Well, in terms of his, just total nominations, yeah. I think five. Yeah, it might be his fifth or sixth. Fifth or sixth. Um, he's won in the past for Training Day. Mm-hmm. And since Training Day, he has been nominated three times for Best Actor. Mm-hmm. Three times, I say, on the <laughs> podcast about movies and sets of three. So we are doing Denzel Needs Another Oscar trilogy <laughs> because he's up for his fourth nomination since training day this year for the tragedy of Macbeth. Yeah, we're going through all three of his Oscar nominations in the 2010s talking mm-hmm. about each film, which in case you don't know what those films are, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> they are 2012's Flight, 2016's Fences, and 2017's Roman J. Israel Esquire. Esquire. To, Don't forget the Esquire. I had to close my eyes because I was worried that Andy was going to laugh and make me <laughs> laugh because we both make fun of that title all the time. But we're picking those. We're doing this because Denzel is an incredible actor. He is. Everybody loves him, even in the film where you know he's not going to get an Oscar nominated for it, like the Equalizer films or like the Magnificent Seven remake. He is going to put his all into that. Yeah, he always brings it. Yeah, and so, of course, it's with the Oscars coming up, regardless of the execution of said Oscars, which <laughs> we have opinions on, we wanted to talk about one of the best actors working today in honor of his, pretty much his next nomination coming up and yes. possible win, talking about the three films that he thought could have won it for him, but didn't, as well as talking yeah. about probably the film, talking about who won instead. Yes, because yeah. a lot of those because a lot of those wins are also fascinating surrounding them. Yeah, absolutely. particularly the one around fences because that was the film that he directed. Mm-hmm. He had played the character on stage before, so yep. like he was very much in tuned with that play and that character. And I think was it his directorial debut to do fences? I think so yeah, so it's like that's a big film for him in his career. So yeah, it's again we're going from. M. Night Superheroes to Batman sequels to <laughs> Denzel yeah. needs another Oscar. So if you're uh, if you're hyped for Oscar season and you want your boy Denzel to win, you know, do your homework, watch the Odd Trilogies episode because it comes out the day before the Oscar ceremony. Yes, tune in March 26th when we talk about Denzel needs another Oscar trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> but until then, I'm Logan Sowash. And I'm Andy Carr. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.